Welcome back to the Gate 15 interview. I'm Andy and your host for this monthly discussion with experts and colorful characters from throughout our Homeland Security community. This is the fourth of our four Gate 15 monthly podcasts, which include our risk roundtable discussion, Jen Walker's the cybersecurity evangelist, and Dave Pounder's nerd out. If you haven't heard those this month, those are both solo editions and good conversations as Dave and Jen share their thoughts and insights on cybersecurity, physical security, and a number of things in our environment. Please subscribe and listen and learn more about the threats and risks facing us every day. This month, I'm really excited to talk with Ms. Erin Miller, the Executive Director of Space ISAC. Erin, thank you so much for joining me. I know you've got a very busy schedule and there's always a lot going on, so I really appreciate your being here. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. But before we dive in, just for those that are listening, do you want to tell us a little bit about who Erin Miller is? Yeah, hi, Andy, and to everyone listening, hello. Thanks for having me. Very pleased to be joining the Gate 15 podcast this month. Uh, I'm Erin uh, Miller, of course, uh, everyone knows my name now, but who am I? Let's see. I am a public-private partnership professional who is experienced in building uh, rapid development of capabilities. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so the reason why I put it that way is because uh, I used to work at the Air Force Academy. And when I worked at the Air Force Academy, that was my primary job. Uh, so the United States Air Force Academy, for those who are not familiar, produces our commissioned Air Force officers and now our US Space Force officers. And a part of their experience in uh, their four-year undergraduate education is to get access to research and they do real research projects. They even fly real satellites over at the Air Force Academy. So we have students who graduate with their four-year degree who know how to design, build, and launch, and then operate an on-orbit satellite, which is really amazing. Uh, but the part that I served in their experience is to build collaboration with industry. So I had over 200 different industry partners that were uh, conducting research in collaboration with those Air Force Academy cadets and faculty members. And after that, I went and launched a nonprofit that did a similar uh, function only out in the community. So we launched the Center for Technology Research and Commercialization that exists at Catalyst Campus in Colorado Springs. And uh, through that, we were able to stand up an organization called Air Force Cyberworks. Air Force Cyberworks is uh, an Office of Secretary of Defense uh, initiative that was funded and allows the Air Force to do rapid collaboration with uh, industry to solve hard problems for the warfighter. And uh, we also launched the Air Force's first space accelerator, where we were doing a similar thing, inviting commercial companies to come in and demo their capabilities to the warfighter and then tweak their capabilities to meet warfighter needs over a three-month period and then get funding to do so. So they pitch to investors after they're done. So that's really who I am leading up to Space ISAC, which we're going to talk about a whole bunch. So I won't get into that now. Yeah, that, that's an awesome background. So I'll admit, I, I did not, it never occurred to me that our Space Force officers are coming to the Air Force Academy. That, that's interesting. I was actually nudging mm -hmm. my youngest son we were working out the other day. And I was like, hey, ever give any thoughts to Space Force? And he's had a little conversation about it. I think I just think it's so cool where that mission is going. You know, um, there are some jokes as Space Force was getting off the ground, but I think it's really such an integral and exciting part of our of our future, not just militarily, but technology and everything else that, that covers that mission. And I commend you, you, you public-private partnership professional, many times over the years referred to P3, you had an extra P in there on me, Aaron. So now we've got public-private partnership professionals, which really, you know, the ISAC community is so full of, right? There's so many uh -huh. folks working hard in this space and so appreciative of you being a part of it now and Space ISAC being a part of it now. And 
And let's let's get into that. There's so much to cover. So let's talk about Space Isaac. And thanks for the introduction. Really awesome introduction. And I'm going to read this from your website. And I'm going to ask you to tell me what it really means, right? So this is from the Space Isaac website. It says the Space Isaac serves to facilitate collaboration across the global space industry to enhance our ability to prepare for and respond to vulnerabilities, incidents, and threats, to disseminate timely and actionable information among member entities, and we'll get into that in just a little bit, and to serve as a primary communications channel for the sector with respect to this information. So there's a lot packed into there. If you could break it down for us, what does that actually mean? And not to be silly, but what do you actually do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I I'll say, start off that one of the best things that ever happened to Space Isaac is having a strong mission statement like that, because it really set a, a solid framework for what we're doing. And uh, everything that we do goes back to that mission statement. So in the first part, it talks about the global space community. So we're bringing together uh, commercial, international, and government collaborators in a multi-decade effort to share threat intelligence across our entire community. And there are ISACs that operate in an international capability, uh, capacity, but we are really intentional and deliberate about that piece of it because the space community for a long time was primarily focused and centered around, in the US anyway, defense and, defense and civil space. And so we had government agencies funding a large part of our space activities. And in recent decades, we've seen a dramatic shift where we're looking to the commercial sector to bring innovation, bring new technologies for space, and more so in the past couple of months, you've even seen the commercial sector is leading the way in space. We have Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos uh, going to space, and uh, we know that our commercial capabilities are extremely robust as well as our international partners and their capabilities. So to bring it all together under one ISAC is uh, really a cultural revolution because we've never all operated under the same uh, organization being able to share information with each other. Uh, there's also a huge culture in the space community in the US where things get marked as classified and uh, when things are classified, that means that you're not talking about them with everyone who needs to know, uh, potentially. I mean, we have the definition of who the need to know is, but then we get to a point where there's certain information that's a part of that story that needs to eventually make it to the end user or to the operator. And that's what Space ISAC is for, is that there's a lot of information that we need to share that will help uh, prevent identify, prevent, and respond to vulnerabilities, incidents, and threats. So that's the second part of the mission. So as we uh, do that together, then we're pulling in our public sector partners and our private sector partners, and it's a real true public-private partnership, just like the mission says. And the reason why we are uh, that entity for the sector is because there's no other entity out there for the sector, for the space sector. Uh, there are uh, other critical infrastructures, those are their ISACs and ISAOs, and they all use space to execute their mission in some way, shape, or form. Space is a part of their world, but it's not their primary reason for being. So there has to be a space ISAC so that someone's looking at the entire value chain for space and considering all the different elements and the impacts that it's going to have on other critical infrastructures. There, there's so much awesomeness and we just broke it down there <laughs> there's so much i want to touch on we discovered one we've had a chance to talk a couple of times and i really appreciate the fact that you are 
you are so deliberate in your approach. And, and I realize that's a great quality, especially just trying to grow out an organization. And in your comments, you mentioned a multi-decade effort. I think just, just the thoughtfulness of the space ISAC team and you know, your board and to, to sort of take both the, the near-term requirements, but also be able to take that long view of where this is going and where space is going. I think it's just, it's just fantastic. And you know, you, you, you said a few things that are the really key one that I really liked, and it's kind of got me thinking because you know, critical infrastructure sectors are designated by the president, um, whomever that person may be at a given time, and then codified in language from DHS. And presently today, we've discussed this before, space isn't a designated sector of critical infrastructure, yet it's such a critical part of our infrastructure, right? And so, you know, just think about what you were saying about the different sectors, you know, using the space community. And, and really, you know, at Gate 15, we, we sort of break infrastructure into three buckets. We think of uh, critical lifelines, right? Those things, water, energy, those things we're life dependent upon, and then vital services, which are kind of sort of those critical things that support those critical lifelines, right? That without those critical uh, vital services, you can't have those critical lifelines functioning. And then commercial infrastructure, um, which is, you know, shopping malls and stadiums. And, and really, you know, space floats along all those areas, but more and more, it's really becoming part of that like vital services community because take out the technology that's, that's floating around space, the communications, the satellites, the GPS dependencies, so much of our infrastructure is dependent on that space infrastructure working. That's really, it's really mind blowing because it's only gonna become more and more so in the years ahead. So you know, thank, thank goodness that there's you know, professionals such as yourself and your great members talk about in just a minute, focusing on this. And the last one, I'm just gonna share a quote. This is something, uh, I don't get into my politics on these podcasts, but I'm a big fan of, of a, of a certain podcast and a, a comment made by uh, Catherine Mangu Ward in a, in a podcast this week, where you're talking about the importance of space and exciting things is happening. He said, NASA is not going to send William Shatner to space. And you get, you, you get cool, weird stuff when billionaires are allowed to keep all their money and William Shatner going to space, which should bring joy to all of us is a great example of that. And I think that's just sort of speaking to the incre incredible innovation that's occurring in, in, in the sector and exciting things that are happening on the private side this isn't really just government territory anymore. So really exciting, really awesome stuff that you're doing. Awesome mission statement. Great to hear how you're supporting it. Love the near-term and long-term you know, efforts you're putting into place. But let's talk about some of that great community because you've really got some amazing members. So looking at the publicly listed members, it's a pretty robust group. And they've got some other members as well. But some organizations that most folks would recognize, groups like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, and Raytheon, right? Not, not small players by any means in, in, in our community. Uh, you just added Microsoft recently, I think a couple months ago, and I'll share the link to that membership in the show notes, but um, there's a lot of organizations people might be familiar with and some that they might be a lot less familiar with. There's a lot of innovation happening in this space and some great you know, communities and, and organizations. So what type of organizations join Space ISAC and why do they join? What, what sort of compels them to come together you know, in, into this forum? Uh, I would say there are two categories of companies that join Space ISAC. So there's the companies that already uh, are part of the space value chain. They either are part, you know, they're part of communications or launch or cloud and data processing. They're payload designers, uh, any number of ways that they could be involved. Maybe they're ground station uh, provider. They are distinctly part of the space community. And then there's other companies that are uh, either you know vendors, suppliers to those organizations, but they still fit. Like they really are uh, competitors to others that are directly part of the space economy. And then I guess there's a third one, uh, which is 
that type of company that aspires to be part of space because they know everything that they're doing already applies to space. This would be like the artificial intelligence and machine learning companies or those that are venturing into quantum. They know that this is part of the future of space. And in some cases, it's already part of the present of space. Uh, we also have blockchain companies that like 14bis and Constellation Network uh, that have uh, joined Space ISAC and stood up our blockchain community of interest because of the apl direct applications to the space community. And so in some people's minds, then they might wonder, you know, why do you have blockchain as part of your space ISAC? What does blockchain have to do with space? Uh, but everything that we do, like you said, it's intentional. And so we know that in the future, and even in the present, although it's not widely understood and known, then blockchain is being used in the space community and it's gonna have some really big implications on the future. Certainly, again, really interesting stuff, right? So one, the idea of some of these advanced technologies, emerging technologies, you know, recognize the importance of basically securing their supply chain and where their industry is dependent upon and contributing to. I think that's great. And I love there's a space for them to come to, to talk to those organizations. and. In reality, I think space ISAC, like a lot of ISACs, one of the things I really love about it is it brings together commercial competitors because they understand that everybody has to be secure for the community to be secure, right? Their security is dependent on, even though they're competing with these other major organizations in this space, you know, the collective security is so vital to everybody's individual security. And you have those organizations coming together and collaborating in, in the space ISAC, working on these special interest groups and special projects and looking to the future and how we secure the environment. It's really awesome and, and a great testament to what you're doing. You've been able to successfully bring in these remarkable organizations and innovators to help secure the space uh, critical infrastructure and not now, but also into the future. So really exciting. So as we talk about that, you talk about some interesting things like, you know, what you're doing in blockchain, but the really, it might be hard folks to understand sort of like, what are we trying to secure? Like, what are the problems in space? So can you share a little bit about the types of vulnerabilities, incidents, and threats that you as a community are looking at? What, what, what is a concern for Space ISAC and Space ISAC membership? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Space ISAC uh, is different than other ISACs because we're looking at the space layer. And that might sound uh, pretty obvious and straightforward. So I'll explain why that's so important. Uh, the uh, uh, threats and vulnerabilities that are happening at the terrestrial layer that we have grown to understand, you know, they're affecting all of our networks on the ground and therefore they affect other uh, industries. Uh, like you, I think you mentioned water ISAC, we have electricity, we have um, IT, you know, all sorts of things that are happening on, on earth, right? We have networks that we have built and we need to protect them and defend against incidents. Well, the same thing goes for space. So we have now a pretty robust network in space. I think there's 3,000 satellites in orbit right now, and there's a lot of space debris up there. So when we think about the interconnectedness of those satellites with our terrestrial layer, then now we have essentially just an extension of our space layer network. And then we start to think future and imagine, you know, we are going to be uh, running, having the NASA Gateway Project become a success. And so we'll have something that orbits the moon, kind of like the ISS. And then we have uh, exploration of Mars. So people have already decided that we're gonna be doing manufacturing in space. They're working towards that. And then we also have on-orbit servicing capabilities that are in development and have already been tested. 
So we're adding more and more things to the internet of things, only they're in space. <laughs> so what are we protecting and defending against? Um, adversaries or uh, threat actors that want to attack that network, that part of the network that's up there. And uh, if you're wondering, you know, why do we care about that part of the network? It's because of all the services that we're using on Earth that use that network. Uh, so we fight fires using information that comes from that part of the network. We also uh, uh, respond to emergencies. We monitor the ground using remote sensing satellites so that uh, farmers can evaluate the food supply chain and monitor that. And then we also have um, a large number of communication services that come from space and all of our uh, daily activities that depend on GPS or PNT. So if you're doing a bank transaction, then you are using PNT. If uh, you're using energy, then you're actually using the electric grid, which is tied to PNT. And then, you know, your house, when you are just going about your daily activities in your house, then you likely use GPS, uh, they say, up to eight times before you even uh, get to nine o'clock in the morning. So we are highly dependent upon. Uh, we have grown a dependency upon uh, that space layer network, whether we realize it or not. Most of it is fairly transparent to the end user. So much so. I mean, I think back to my, my army days, which are further in the rearview mirror than I'd like to admit these days. But, you know, I think of the old technology we had for GPS, right? There's old army pluggers and things of that nature. And now that's evolved so much into the modern use we have on everything from our you know, our watches and our, our fitness trackers and everything else we have around us. But you talk about the importance of you know, securing space, secure that terrestrial infrastructure, which I think it only becomes more and more critical every day. I mean, so much is dependent on that. And then you get, you get me excited when you talk about some of the, the innovative future looking ideas of, you know, the space supply chain, right? And be able to extend these, these NASA missions and eventually maybe commercial missions you know, there's a whole process that goes into that and sort of building the infrastructure here on Earth and in space to support those missions. It's super exciting and it's so important. And the fact we're taking a forward-looking uh, perspective to securing that as a community, I think is, is just really remarkable, really exciting. And so glad that you're there to do that. So thanks for sharing a little bit about that. But if we can think, you know, a little bit to not just these, you know, challenging vulnerabilities and sort of where space is going, sort of the unique things you have to look at and the way that affects everybody, you're also susceptible to some very real sort of in the present, you know, earthly threats, right? Like everybody else. So just help us understand that a little bit. A topic we discussed a lot at Gate 15 in our podcast and on our blog and client reports. And, you know, now we hear about it almost on a daily basis from somewhere from the White House and DHS is, is, the, is the persistent threat of ransomware. And I'll include a few links to recent podcasts and posts in our show notes for those who are listening. But are threats like that, I and mean, it's so prevalent across critical infrastructure today, is something like that a concern for the space community? And can you share how that could threaten members and operations and anything that the community is doing to draw down risk to the impacts of potential ransomware threats against space infrastructure and the member organizations that you have as part of Space ISAC? Yeah, uh, so I think that ransomware can affect any industry or market segment uh, because of the techni uh, techniques that they are using, then any company that doesn't have a robust security posture is going to ultimately um, get uh, multiple attacks per day and any number of them could end up being a ransomware type attack. So we have to uh, empower and enable all companies across 
uh, our whole uh, United States, our whole world, you know, we really need to focus on training and education around how to respond to ransomware. And the space sector is, of course, susceptible to those same types of attacks. There's nothing really different that separates us and would prevent us from being attacked in that way. Uh, except for the security posture. So what we do in Space ISAC on a regular basis is keep our members apprised. Uh, so every time that there is a known ransomware attack, then our members are notified. And uh, they put resources towards studying those attacks and understanding how they uh, came about and how to respond to them. We also do publish um, mitigation every time there's a attack or an incident of compromise that we're made aware of, and it comes with a set of um, mitigation responses that companies can take. There's uh, the potential that Space ISAC's next uh, community call that we have will be on the topic of ransomware. We do have many companies that are quite large that have a number of resources to respond to those types of attacks. Uh, but what I'm really proud of in Space Isaac is that we have small businesses and we have medium-sized companies that are, uh, and we have new entrants to the market. So these types of companies, they will need some hands-on training and guidance on how to respond to ransomware. Uh, as we know, DHS has, has taken a pretty aggressive approach on getting the word out. So we've shared those resources with our members. And uh, the next step for the Space ISAC is to do some more hands-on training. Overall though, uh, I wanna comment that understanding how to have a good security posture will help ward against a ransomware attack. So understanding what NIST 853 says and understanding um, how to implement CMMC in a company. These types of things we are focused on, we have a CMMC or uh, I should probably elaborate on that, <laughs> cybersecurity maturity model certification for those who aren't tracking that one. Um, it's a pretty lengthy acronym, uh, but it's primarily used in the defense community, but everyone can look at the NIST publications and take that as good guidance and implement those controls just like CMMC is requiring. Yeah, and that's really big in the DOD community now. It's, it's, it's required, right, over the coming years here for organizations, a lot of a lot of effort to help organizations identify and, and prepare for that. But you had some really, you know, great points there as well. I, mean, I love the fact that communities working together, thinking about how the, the, the bigs can help the smalls and the mediums. And, you know, we, we at Gateway Team have done a lot of work in this space besides sort of the talking about and reporting on it. The chance to be a part of a lot of workshop efforts around the contrast around internationally this year, uh, courtesy of Zoom and, uh, and talking to this. And you're absolutely right. Really, it's, it's starting with the basics of, of, of security, right? And implementing all those good habits and best practices, you know, having a good solid incident response plan. And yeah, there's some nuances with ransomware, some things we need to specifically think through, but it does come down to good basic cyber hygiene. And, and again, you know, to the administration's credit and a non-political comment, um, they've put out some really clear guidance on best practices organizations can take and implement right now, as far as, you know, segmenting networks, applying multi-factor authentication, and a few other ideas that they've really sort of hammered and said, hey, do these things and help secure your space. So I hope a lot of organizations follow, you know, what you guys are doing and sort of helping one another out and helping organizations out big and small to implement those best practices and establish good basic cybersecurity and then really focus on that ransomware threat. So appreciate that, appreciate that perspective. And so I know you're doing a lot right now. You've already shared a little bit about sort of the long view of space ISAC and the sector in, in general. So can I ask you, Aaron, what does the future look like for space ISAC? Where is the community and where is the ISAC going in the years, maybe even decades ahead? 
we are on a journey and uh, our journey is multi-decade long, so we don't know when it's gonna end, uh, but every iteration that we have at the beginning here uh, constitutes a very significant milestone because we're putting into place uh, infrastructure and capabilities that will serve us for the long run. So our next step is uh, designing our watch center's initial operating capability. We've put a small team together that's already started that effort and uh, we'll continue to move out on that and open our watch center in June of 2022. Uh, so that will be another significant milestone. So it's not just designing the initial operating capability of the watch center, but the physical infrastructure uh, is funded and uh, the build out has started. We have construction in our building now. And the, uh, when that watch center opens, it will be inside of the Space ISAC headquarters, which contains offices, but also a cyber vulnerability lab. Uh, so conversations about that cyber vulnerability lab and its initial operation, operational capability uh, are starting at the end of this month. And uh, when the watch center is open, uh, some of the forecasted capability that I can elaborate on is that we will truly cover the terrestrial and space layer with our threat intel sharing. We'll have uh, remote access capability, so there will be analysts that are on-site from the public and private sector and the space ISAC, as well as off-site analysts that can remote in to the watch center and perform their analyst function uh, remotely, and will serve the globe uh, and do fulfill our mission, you know, fulfill that requirement and mandate that we have to be able to identify incidents of compromise and share information across the entire world. Uh, some of it will originate with our government partners that are invited to join us in as and put an analyst in our watch center. They may also just be providing sources of information that our analysts process and then distribute alerts. Yeah. That's so exciting, right? Having the physical presence being built out, growing the team, and just thinking about really the mission of space ISAC. I mean, I, th I think the entire ISAC community, all critical infrastructure is just so exciting and fascinating to me. But just hearing you talk and think about where space is going, just the, the incredible future ahead for the sector as a whole, for the organizations that are part of that, and, and candidly for space ISAC. And there's just, there's so much great work that you can contribute to as an ISAC, and it's just really super exciting that, that you're doing that. Again, just hearing you talk now as I jotted down a quote that I, I absolutely loved. You said, uh, you said, we are on a journey and our journey is multi-decades long, right? And I just think that's that's so awesome, right? I mean, again, you're you're such a thoughtful leader and you've been so deliberate in everything we've talked about. I just love the way you're taking this, you know, what do we need to do in the near term? And what are we, what are we building up to as we look forward? And it's really exciting to hear what you're doing today and where you're going. Thank you, thank you for sharing all that with us. And I'll give you a chance to sort of share any additional thoughts that you want to hear in a minute. But first, you don't mind, we'll take a little pivot from the serious things of space ISAC and securing the terrestrial and space infrastructure. We'll play a little game we like to play here at Gate 15 called Three Questions. Sarah, are you ready for three questions with Aaron Miller? I'm ready. Yeah, let's all go, right. Andy. All right, let's do this. So this is, this is a kind of new part. I say, maybe it's not so new anymore, part of these podcasts, but I'm gonna ask you three simple questions. And your mission is not to really think, just to answer them. So space ISAC, you know, candidly, I get really geeked up. I'm a, I grew up as a huge sci-fi fan. Talking about space gets me, you know, goose pimpled. So I'm going to ask you some pretty easy questions focusing on the world of space. So first one, all right, Klingons or Borg? Who's the better enemy? Oh, definitely Klingons. I'm with you. 
I'm with you on that. Playtons <laughs> are awesome, right? I mean, I, I will always, always love Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek Three as as a Klingon. I just think that was just fascinating. Loved it. Loved it so much fun. All right. So correct answer on the first question. Not that you can be right or wrong, but you were right. So okay. Aaron, favorite planet, not including Earth. Oh, well, I have to pick poor Pluto. <laughs> Does that count as a planet these days? It goes back and forth all the time, I feel like. So yeah, so poor little Pluto, right? Floating out there, unloved by some, loved by others. So uh -huh. that's a good answer. That's a good answer. So Pluto, Pluto is a good answer there. So all right, last one. I actually have a t-shirt that said, I think it says, Pluto, I am really a planet or something like that. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to When we get these on YouTube, Aaron, we'll bring you back and have you wear your Pluto love shirt and okay. uh, we'll include that. <laughs> All right. So, last one you're lost in space. You have one movie playing on endless loop. Aaron, what are you watching? Oh, wow. I'm going to get some serious judgment for this one. Uh, probably The Holiday. I don't know if I know that. I don't know if I know the holiday. Uh, it's a chick flick. Oh, uh, well, they, well, they're there, therefore I don't know it. But all right. So you're endless loop watching your chick flick floating through space, enjoying the holiday for mm -hmm. all eternity. Aaron, thank you for, for playing along. I appreciate that very much. I've got a movie now. Maybe I can encourage my wife to, to watch and we'll, we'll catch up and, and know what you're talking about with the holiday. But yeah, um, the season's coming. You got to watch it. All right. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> good, 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 uh, good pointer for me. I need help in those categories, in those areas. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Aaron. Thanks for playing this game with me. Thanks so much for sharing about Space ISAC and what you're doing with me and with everybody listening. And again, I have a chance to meet you in person. I have a chance to talk to you now. And I'm just so appreciative that you are leading this mission, leading Space ISAC, bringing these partners together developing this community and whether it's a designated sector of critical infrastructure or not, space is an absolutely critical part of our national and global infrastructure. And it's so exciting that you brought together these incredible partners and members in space, Isaac. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for what you're doing every day to help secure not just space, but in reality, so much of our critical infrastructure here on earth as well as dependent on the space environment. So before we wrap up, You've been a great guest. Thank you very much. Open floor, Aaron. Is there anything you want to share with those that are listening? Anything about you or Space ISAC? Any news or updates? Or is there anything for the general good? Yes, I want to encourage any of our listeners to remember that you don't have to have a space background to get into the space industry. And space industry is always looking for cybersecurity professionals, as we all are. Uh, but for those who you might be surrounded by who haven't decided what their future career holds, then I highly encourage that you um, point them towards different resources. Like you can send them to the Space ISAC website to read about space, um, send them to the Air Force Academy's website or the US Space Force. And uh, the web, they have a beautiful web presence. I visited it yesterday actually, just to get them motivated and excited. And if you're thinking more like K through 12, like not college students, um, K through 12 resources out there for space are also numerous. We have the Space Foundation, we have the Challenger Learning Center, those are both in Colorado Springs, and they're offering a number of online and in-person activities uh, to teach kids about space. And so eventually, you know, we need a lot of cybersecurity for space professionals, but we also just need space professionals. So encourage them in that direction, it's an exciting future. Aaron, you're, you're, you're quite the recruiter. That, that's some pretty good uh, recruiting you're doing there for the space community, for the Air Force community. I really appreciate that. That's, it's so exciting and it's so true. There's so much exciting opportunity in space 
And I think it's awesome. A great resource. I'm going to point my kids in your direction here in a minute and tell them to get involved. I've got a college student, a high school student. I just think that, you know, what you're doing is, is so exciting. Space is so exciting. It really is the future. And so thank you for that encouragement, you know, to, to, to learn more about the space community and the fact that really you just need good people. You need cybersecurity professionals. But you just need a lot of good people, a lot of good leaders. And I'm grateful that we're, we're helping to grow those through the U.S. Air Force Academy and creating that future to help secure our space um, and, and the world around us. So Aaron, again, you've been a great guest. Thank you so much for taking time out of I know your very busy schedule to be part of this podcast today. And thanks for all you're doing every day. And thanks to all those that are listening. I hope you got something out of this. I think it's been a great discussion. And I'm excited to maybe check in with Aaron again down the road and see where Space ISAC has gone and where it continues to evolve as it moves forward. This has been the Gay 15 interview, my monthly podcast with amazing guests such as Aaron and, and others from across our broad homeless security environment. We discuss the array of all hazards, threats, from physical security, cybersecurity, and everything in between. Please check out the other Day 15 podcasts I mentioned earlier, our Risk Roundtable, the Cybersecurity Evangelist, and Dave Pounder's Nerd Out Security Panel Discussion. We hope you'll subscribe, listen, and share your ideas and other feedback. You can hit us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at gay15.global. Thanks for listening. Please uh, continue to listen. Please subscribe and stay reasonably safe. Thank you very much.